Well, good morning, Greenwich. Today's Tuesday, December 8th. Welcome to this edition of the Basement Academy, and I pray that it is well with your soul. Uh, our morning psalm is familiar, even if you don't know it's familiar. This is the basis for our Christmas hymn, Joy to the World. Isaac Watts, who wrote Joy to the World, though did not intend for his paraphrase of Psalm 98 to be a Christmas hymn. That wasn't his intention. In fact, he was writing this, the, the, the paraphrase, Joy to the World, um, in the context of a study on the book of Revelation about the final coming of the king, the revealing of God's salvation to the nations uh, that happens in the, at the end of the book of Revelation. But a, an American hymn writer, Lowell Mason, read the poem, Joy to the World. This is back in the 1719, I think, is when Isaac Watts wrote it. Lowell Mason lived a little later, picked it up. Um, it got set to the tune that we're familiar with. I think there have been other tunes associated with it. And uh, it got set to music around Christmas time, and it became a beloved Christmas hymn. But Psalm 98 is actually the psalm that stands behind um, our hymn, Joy to the World. So, a uh, little, little backstory there. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it. Let the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Amen. And so this image or language at the end of the psalm about God coming to judge the earth... That's the image. So Isaac Watts picking up on that from the book of Revelation. God coming back, Christ coming back at the end of time and the, the great judgment taking place. So interesting, isn't it? How a psalm then is paraphrased into a poem, is read and picked up by a hymn writer, is set to music, and then applied differently than initially intended but boy, does it work. <laughs> and so, uh, as we've talked about in this Advent season, we not only look back to the birth of Christ, we, we do that to encourage us about God's faithfulness as he was faithful to God's people who waited for centuries for Messiah to come, so he will be faithful to God's people, the church, as we wait for Messiah to return. So we retell the birth story to encourage ourselves to hang in there. God is faithful. He has redeemed the world. He will come again. So Psalm 98, I uh, pray that you will enjoy that. And when we sing joy to the world, this 
uh, this Christmas season, perhaps with a, a new appreciation. Okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, on Monday's study, I called this the, the prophets and the birth of Christ, but I really want to call it the backstory. That, that, that rings a little better, doesn't it? The backstory to the birth of Christ. It's exploring um, the, the, the foundation because our understanding of the Christmas story is quite sentimentalized. Uh, we have our manger scenes. We have the Christmas, the children's Christmas pageant. Um, you know, stories and songs, little drummer boy, you know, things like that, that, that sentimentalize that event. But we're, we're cut off. The majority of people, the vast majority of people who understand or celebrate Christmas who celebrate Christmas don't understand the backstory. I guess that's what I want to say. And so for this week and next week, just exploring the backstory, the prophetic Old Covenant, Old Testament backstory uh, to the birth of Christ. Now, in case you missed it, that's what I see, why am I? In case you missed it, you might not have hung on to the end of the study uh, yesterday. But if we landed on Genesis chapter 3.15, where God is pronouncing a curse after the fall, uh, the serpent tempts Eve, she eats, uh, Adam eats, um, and so God comes to the serpent, to the man, and to the woman, and pronounces a curse upon them. To the serpent, God says, the seed of the woman, or the offspring of the woman, will crush your head, but you will bruise or strike his heel. And so biblical scholars see this as the foreshadowing of the gospel, that a human savior will come, a human savior will come who will defeat the ancient enemy, crush Satan's head, and yet he will be wounded in the process. So this gives some insight. Genesis chapter 3.15 gives insight into the purpose of Jesus' birth. Yes, he's born, he's placed in a manger, he's wrapped in swaddling cloths, uh, sweet, cuddly baby Jesus. And so there's much that's made over, over uh, the baby Jesus at this time of year. But he grew up and he offered his life. And as he died on the cross, and as he rises from the grave, he tramples down death. He crushes the serpent's head. He defeats Satan, he defeats death, uh, he defeats hell. And he rises again. And so this Genesis 3.15 is the backstory. Okay, Right after the fall of humanity, the great disruption of sin into this good world that God has made, immediately we have this foreshadowing, this redemptive uh, motif that is that is introduced to us. Okay, so that's just in case you didn't watch to the bitter end of yesterday's. Okay, because it's very important. Now, um, started with the the genie mentioned the genealogy uh, of of Matthew. This theme that is in Matthew of fulfillment, old covenant, new covenant, foreshadowing fulfillment. And so I want to do a little deeper dive into the genealogy of Matthew today uh, and tomorrow, okay? Now, I'm going to read a bunch of names and kind of comment kind of some of the, the, the features around this, but, but the key is to understand that genealogies, and, and many have done genealogical work, okay? 
genealogies remind us that none of us just appears out of thin air. To us, we do, right? We're born, we're alive, we're little children. It's, it's months, if not years, before we gain cognitive access to the reality of a past, <laughs> that, that something existed before we did, okay? Because we, our existence begins at a point in time but mommy and daddy and grandmommy and granddaddy and so on were here before me. Okay, so it takes us a while to understand that. And so genealogical work reminds us we don't appear out of thin air, none of us. We are all woven into a family story. And so we come in a long, unbroken chain, right? An unbroken chain that goes back and back and back and back. I want to give a shout out to Diana Van Brookhoven. Um, a number of years ago, after my father's death, uh, she was doing some of her own genealogical work, and as a gift to us, uh, mapped out the Meeks family and the Marshall family. Uh, Marshall is my mother's uh, maiden name. And what a gift to us, um, both in kind of going forward in our new lives, adjusting uh, to life without dad, but then we also have this this record of where we've come from. And it's been so fun to read uh, with my mother and with my brothers and to see this and some interesting stories that, that are part of our own family tree. And so thank you, Diana, for that good work. And so Matthew's genealogy, Luke has a genealogy also, comes at it differently. Matthew's very, very interesting here. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we're introduced the outset, Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, so the first mention of a woman, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And so we're given a section from Abraham to David of 14 generations. And then he goes on. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. We also know her as Bathsheba. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. And so next we get 14 generations from David to the exile. If you're a reader of the Old Testament, some of those names I just read will be familiar because those are the names of the kings that we read in the Chronicles, okay, Kings and Chronicles. These are the names of the kings of Judah. And 
and they are descended, and not all of them are good kings. In fact, many of them are bad and wicked kings. Okay. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Eliad, Eliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were fourteen generations in all, from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile to Babylon, and fourteen from the exile to the Christ. Matthew's a tax collector. He likes numbers, he likes precision, he likes columns and categories. <laughs> and so Matthew presents to us his genealogy with three sets of 14 generations. Abraham to David, David to the exile, the exile to Jesus. Beyond that, the significance, we're not sure. 14 is 2 times 7, 7 is the holy number. Not sure all of why, but that's how it is presented to us. Luke presents it very differently. Luke, so so um, Matthew begins from Abraham and goes to Jesus in this set of three fourteens. Luke is different. Luke begins with Joseph and Mary and works back all the way to Adam and, and the original creation, the first man. Okay, so different approach. So first, this three sets of 14s, it's important that Matthew trace to Abraham and to David. So Abraham to David, David to the exile. So this, this connection, the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then also Matthew includes four women. In addition to Mary, four women, each who have a part in the story, but each who have a story, okay? Tamar is perhaps the least well-known uh, in the book of Genesis. Tamar has an incestuous, by deception, she deceives her father-in-law Judah. Judah is in the line of, of Jesus. Judah is the, the kingly tribe, okay? But Tamar seduces her father-in-law and children are born from that illicit union. Interesting, so that's in the family line. Rahab um, is thought to be the prostitute from Jericho. So if you know that story, um, and the spies come to explore the land as they're coming to occupy the land, Joshua leads, they, they, they explore, and she, she hides the spies and lets them out. And then she says, when you come to defeat our city, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, please protect me and my family. And so Rahab, okay, is known as a prostitute. Ruth is a Moabite from the story of Ruth, the book of Ruth. She stays true to her, she is a widow and she stays true to her widowed mother-in-law, Naomi, who, as they come back, uh, after the famine, they come back to Bethlehem, okay? 
And so um, noble Boaz takes Ruth uh, under his wing, as it were, marries her, and she becomes part of the story, part of David's family line, which becomes part of Jesus' family line. And so Ruth is an outsider, and there's some history between the Moabites and the Israelites that's not all positive. And then you have that reference to Uriah's wife, Solomon's mother, we know as Bathsheba. And of course, we know that story, David raping Bathsheba and then having her husband Uriah killed and then taking her as his wife. And then from that union comes Solomon, um, the, the wise king, uh, descendant of David. Okay, Interesting that Matthew includes these four women. Didn't have to do that, did he? Luke doesn't include them. So a genealogy could be told without having included that. So it's interesting that they are part of the genealogical record that we have in sacred scripture for Jesus. So what is Matthew's purpose here? Primarily, he is trying to connect Jesus to the covenant story, hence the connection to Abraham and to David. Okay? Now the genealogy of Jesus would be significant because there was a little story about Jesus' birth, right? Mary, his mother, got pregnant before they had had their wedding ceremony. Huh, wink, wink, nod, nod. Oh yeah, we know the story here. And so there is this need, as it were, in some ways to establish the legitimacy of Jesus' birth and his connection to the covenant family son of Abraham, son of David. He is part of the family story. And so part of what Matthew is doing is establishing Jesus' credentials. He is eligible to be Messiah. Okay? He has the right pedigree. Okay? And so, and so there is this, this genealogical um, credentialing, if we could say it that way. I think second, secondarily, and not, not, not less important, but, but alongside that, the inclusion of these women, some of whom are Gentiles, all of them have a connection to the Gentile world, all of them are outsiders, all of them have a little bit of a past or a story um, that, that is maybe disreputable in, in some way. Matthew is trying to remind that the birth of Jesus is at heart a redemption story. As we talked about up here, right after the, after the fall, the curse is being pronounced, a savior is foreshadowed. The offspring of the woman will crush the serpent's head. There will be a great victory over the ancient enemy that will happen at some point in the future. We don't, aren't told in Genesis when, but this is the unfolding of this story. It is a redemption story for a world that has gone astray. And I, the way I like to say it, it's a redemption story for all who have a past. All of, us, our, all of us came from somewhere and all of us have a past, right? The sins of the fathers and mothers do get visited into our lives. We ourselves are sinners. We ourselves make decisions that we would regret, that we do regret. Um, twists and turns to our lives that gives rise to our, our story. And so the redemption story contained even in the genealogy, all these funny names, <laughs> the balance, the order, the symmetry, the beauty, the, the, the fidelity to the covenant story, Abraham and David, this promise to Abraham, this promise to David. Abraham, through you, 
Uh, I'm going to bless all nations. David, one of your sons, will always sit upon the throne. And then comes Jesus, okay? But Jesus comes not to be high and mighty. He comes to seek and save the lost. He comes to to heal and to restore and, and to welcome back into the fold, kind of the prodigal son story. And so um, let's let's stop here. And we'll do a little bit more work um, with Matthew's genealogy tomorrow, exploring some of the backstory. Um, but I think this is helpful. Uh, and this is part of the backstory to the birth of Christ, that his coming is for folks like you and me. Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Lord, we thank you for the gift of this new day and the gift of these scriptures and the gift of this genealogy with all of these funny names, we, we learn something of your purposes, your sovereign eternal purposes. A centuries old promise made to Abraham fulfilled in the birth of Christ. Centuries ago now we still await his return. That, that time of joy to the world for the Savior comes and reigns. And so we thank you for what we learn in this genealogy of this story of redemption for all who have a past. And so as you have redeemed this world, Lord, we believe you have come to redeem us, each one of us. And so we pray for our lives that we may grow more fully into our understanding of the significance of the birth of our Savior Jesus, especially this year in the midst of all of the challenge and change that this pandemic season, this electoral year has brought upon us, Lord. We pray for a deeper faith and hope and love through our Lord Jesus. We pray his healing mercy upon all in need of physical, spiritual, emotional, relational healing today. Lord, comfort those who mourn, who walk this Christmas season, this holy season, without a loved one for the first time. Father, keep us in your care as we seek to serve you faithfully this day and every day, praying how Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God who loves you despite your past, <laughs> may that God bless you and keep you this day and forevermore through our Lord Jesus. Amen.